Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. It is indeed um, joy once again to stand before you on this last day of camp. And just to say, my wife and I, we've enjoyed the fellowship, the very warm fellowship with the Living Hope Bible Church family. Uh, just We have just enjoyed just sitting around people and seeing how warm you are and just how you encourage. And I believe the series on one another was there to encourage this kind of a fellowship in the body. And as we come to our fourth one another, it is focused on forgiveness, forgiving one another. Our first song reminded us of that very clearly, uh, forgiven, forgiven. And indeed, if God has forgiven us that much, he calls us to forgive one another. And so this is what we want to see in my introduction, I just to remind us, though we all would like our own sins forgiven, we find it difficult to forgive others completely and genuinely, particularly when those offenses hurt us so deeply, or if they have sinned against us repeatedly, we find it very difficult to forgive. And this morning, I want to encourage us, as we'll be looking in the scriptures to show us how we can do this. Though it is difficult, the Lord himself tells us it is possible because he's done it for us. Reasons forgiveness, in, in, reasons forgiveness is man's greatest need. That is why, why we need forgiveness. It's, we, be, we have a big need for this. The reason are here. Sin has alienated us from God and the fellow man. That's what sin has done. And that's why we are in need of forgiveness ourselves. Very, very big need. Spiritually, we were dead. That's what Paul tells Ephesians believers in chapter 2, verse 1, to verse 2, ways reminding them, formerly you walked in the manner of this life. The prince of this life actually ruled you. You are dead. You are alienated from God, spiritually dead. But out of his mercy, he reached out to you and gave you new life, spiritually dead. And just to remind those who are here in this camp who may have not experienced forgive the forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is how the Lord is actually describing you. You are dead spiritually. And it's only him who will make you alive spiritually when forgiveness is experienced. Without God's forgiveness, we will experience God's judgment. 
That's what he tells us. Judgment is coming. Relationships cannot function apart from forgiveness. And that's why, again, to say forgiveness is man's greatest need. Because when you're not forgiven, you remain to be a slave. You will remain alienated. You will remain spiritually dead. And more so when it comes to us as Christians, if forgiveness is not there, our relationship with one another is not going to function. So it is highly, highly needed. So the question comes, what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Of course, many theologians have given up different definitions, but we just want, first of all, to see what it is not. Forgiveness is not peace at all costs, because that's what comes to them in, in, in the mind of some. Forgiveness is not a feeling. I don't feel like forgiving you today. Please wait until that feeling comes, then I will do it. Uh -uh. The Bible says it is a command. You are commanded to do so. Because if you depend on your feelings, it will never happen. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I think you've heard of people say, uh, forgive and forget. And it's very easily coming out. It is not necessarily forgetting. Because again, many people feel guilty when they say, okay, I forgave someone, I forgave my fellow, but these things keep on coming, keeps on coming. So um, have I really forgiven? I want to let you know, even God remembers after he's forgiven you. But he does not punish you because he remembers what he's done. So we, if you cannot erase the memory of the past. It will be there. But forgiveness is granted. Remember, you've forgiven even if the memory comes. Forgiveness is not excusing. No, just okay, it's okay. I'll just let it go. It is a matter of saying, okay, sin was committed, offense was committed, and we need to deal with it as it comes. So, what is it? Forgiveness is a verbal covenant or agreement to erase the other person's sin debt and to bring and not to bring it up again with the goal of establishing a new, better relationship between the two. Yes, you remember what you did, but you have erased it in your books of wanting to use it to punish the other. You're not going to be bringing it up and say, okay, because you did this to me 40 years ago, I want to show you how I'll make your life miserable. It is a matter of saying, yes, you did this to me. Though I remember that my hand was chopped off, the memory is there, but I have forgiven you because the Lord forgave me. You're doing this to establish a relationship because where there is no forgiveness, as we've noted already, alienation, separation will be there. A relationship will not function. 
And therefore, when there is forgiveness, we seek to establish relationship between two people. That's what we call reconciliation. Okay? Okay, forgiveness comes. And again, if we even go further to this, we know forgiveness happens especially um, when one, the two people have come to agree together that forgiveness happened, one has repented, and then reconciliation comes. And I know the question that will be going on in your mind, what if someone has sinned against me and has, does not even want to come and ask forgiveness? Should I forgive? Yes, forgiveness is there. You release forgiveness, though reconciliation may not happen, because reconciliation happened when the other person has actually repented, so you're working together. And so there's that where you want just to remind yourself when you're forgiving others. So just again, too, as we leave the foundation here, to be forgiven means that your load of guilt of sin has been taken away. You feel freed. You've been, you've been freed. It's what a joy. I remember... Years ago, when I was 18 years old, when the Lord took away the burden of my sin, the load of my guilt, the mess I had done, and he took it away by forgiving me, I felt so relieved. God releases, remits, relieves you from all obligation. You are a free child of God. That's what, you, that's what comes with forgiveness. And that's why even with the memory of the Lord's table, we are being reminded of what the Lord has done for us so that we can celebrate the release from our burden of sin. God blots your sins, put them out of sight, refuses to think about them. He chooses not to think about them. God cleanses you from the defilement of sin. That is what comes with forgiveness. It doesn't matter how much sin you've committed. The Lord did this. And just to remind yourself, again, there's two types of forgiveness. That's what we call judicial forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness comes when God forgives you once that day you repented of your sins and you became a believer. That is the very day that God declared you free. But there is also what we call parental forgiveness. You know, though we have been forgiven by God, we still sin. We still offend him. And as a father to us, he continuously forgives us. Why forgive one another? It is because the command is clear. Forgive one another just as Christ, God in Christ, has forgiven you. That is what we see um, Paul bring to us from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 32. Not only that, it demonstrates that one understands the forgiveness of God. When you are forgiving one another, you are actually demonstrating you truly understand what God has already done for you. He has forgiven you big. Why should you hold that grudge against your brother and sister for too long when the Lord has indeed 
done this for us. So that then calls us to go to the book of Matthew, which we will use as our case study in demonstrating how forgiveness is to be done. As we go to Matthew, we will read chapter 18. We are not going to read all the verses there, but we're just going to pick out just to help us for the interest of time and just to go through. Just to begin is by just seeing the purpose of this parable. Why is this parable in the, in the Bible? Why did Jesus give us this parable? This parable is designed to embrace upon us what a sin it will be for us to withhold forgiveness, especially after we have been forgiven so much. That is the purpose for this particular parable. Okay? So it is designed to really embrace this on, on us. So the setting here of the parable, we see Jesus is speaking to his disciples on how to live side by side in God's family. Um, as you note in verse 1, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never, be, you will never enter into heaven. So Jesus is just beginning there to address how to, how to get along with one another as a fellow citizen in the kingdom. He uses a literary child, as we've already noted here, as an object to respond to their bickering with one another over who is the greatest. So that's what we just see here as the foundation as we go. The disciples are here. They know that Jesus Christ is here. But among them, they are like, okay, whom do you think will be the greatest? I want to be the vice president. I want to sit on the right hand. And all of that, we all do that, okay, in that life. And so Jesus, to teach them a lesson, comes out and he picks on a, a small child and he presents this child before them and say, look here, unless you are, your attitude is like this child, you will not enter the kingdom. We'll see what that will mean. He's saying, uh, he's saying you are, you, sorry, he's saying each one needs to be like a child. That's what he's just bringing. Certainly children tend to forgive, to be, to forgive very easily. We know that. I've raised up two girls, and now we are raising up a grandchild. You do, you punish, and you'll think this child will be remembering what you did, but within a few minutes she's laughing at you, he's jumping around, you wonder, okay, Okay, if it was your fellow grown-up, uh, it would be hell. But this child is easily forgetting. They are patient with our, with our mistakes, and they easily forgive, um, and quickly uh, forgive sort of reputation there, and life goes on. That's what they do. They just, you know, forgive quickly, and life goes on. They are not holding on this. They are patiently um, patient with our mistakes as well. So Jesus is placing uh, this lesson before uh, these disciples. You and I, even though saved, we are going to sin against God and against each other, one another. Again and again, it's going to be happening. So that's what we just need to remind ourselves. This is where we see with the disciples this side. 
Okay, so Jesus is bringing a lesson. So we are setting up, up the background here. When sin against one another, we sin against God. That's what happens. So again, going to the context, where does it start? We go to verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? That is a great question. Okay? And just a little word there, then, is showing you that uh, something has been happening. And so that's why Peter comes, and, uh, Peter comes to Jesus and asks that question. Just because of that small word, then, there. And so it's showing us we need to look a little further up and see what was happening. And so to say we need to be going to verse 15. Verse 15, you see, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay? So something is happening here. We've used this passage of scripture, especially when we are dealing with church discipline in the church. And so, Jesus has been teaching on that, and it seems like Peter is very bothered. Talking about forgiving one another, going to your brother or your sister when uh, sins against you. And so that's why it comes to the question that Peter is asking on our behalf in verse, in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sins against me and I forgive him? Because Jesus had just said, this is what you need to be doing. But the question is, how many times? Okay, how many times? And I know that is the question that goes on your mind every time. When your fellow sins against you and you're forgiven, the question is, how many times should I be forgiving this? And you know, there are people, even as we saw um, yesterday, those people with the bad habits, or sinful habits, who just come and do the same things to us again and again. You wonder how many times, oh Lord, should I do this? And so Peter, thinking he was a very uh, talkative character here, and uh, he does not just even stop with that question, how many times? He goes further, as, as many as seven times. So two questions uh, in one seven times so he's asking how many times do you how many times do you think jesus so how many times should should i forgive peter speaks on our behalf this is a question we all want to ask regarding forgiveness how many times should i forgive up to seven times jesus provide the answer in the rest of the parable. And that's where he's going to be teaching us. How do you do this? Um, and it's good that the Lord, um, in his own way, uh, gave this um, uh, information for us to learn from uh, weak people like us, those who have questions. Peter had been with Jesus for three years. As we know, he was the spokesman. And so he's asking good questions. And this question, it is for our good. 
And so how is Jesus responding to this question? We see his response in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. My, do your math. How many times is that? Can you just speak up? Four hundred and ninety. You know your math quite well. Jesus prefaces his parable with a principle. Then he concludes with a promise. That's what we'll see in this passage. 490 times. And that's what is, is happening here. And I'm sure what is going on in the mind of Peter is like, there's no way. <laughs> but Jesus is teaching a lesson here. And that's what we, we can actually learn from. Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but seven, seventy times seven. So that's what should be happening. And so in, with this, um, we see Jesus is going to set up a principle for us on forgiveness, just coming from verse 22. When it comes to forgiving one another, how many times do we do it? Now, some of us will think, okay, I will try one day 490, maybe if I went over 191, I will have done excellent. Um, I don't think that is what Jesus Christ is interested in. He is not about calculating, calculations here. So the principle that comes from this very verse, I'm just moving fast here because of our time here, forgiveness has no boundaries. That is simply that's what Jesus is teaching has no boundaries. It is limitless. Don't calculate and say, okay, yesterday I counted one, two, three to seven. I've gone up to 400. You've been keep, keeping the record. You remember what forgiveness is. It is erasing. So if you have, have forgiven you today, I have erased that. So you will not even get to the number two. You are not seated there calculating how many times you've done. Forgiveness has no boundary. It is limitless. You don't stop at 490. Jesus is teaching us that forgiveness is to be an endless and infinite uh, thing. It is a state of heart, not a calculating thing. You state of heart. This means there must be no end of our forgiveness toward one another. Amen. I know it is difficult to say uh, amen. Amen. This is what he gives to us, endless times. And I'm sure you're just wondering, Lord, is this possible? Of course, in our own strength, uh, it is not possible, but Jesus has done. Because there is no end of God's forgiveness to us. Just as we've seen with the parental forgiveness, see, God is forgiving us every time when we run to him. And that's why he says, Forgive, Paul commands in Ephesians 4:32. forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that is what should be happening with us. So let's see how this principle is illustrated in the parables we go on. This story is designed again 
to embrace upon us what a sin it will be for us to withhold forgiveness, especially after we have been forgiven so much. So we've seen here, Jesus is just showing the disciples, this is how you go about things, forgiving one another. It is endless. Okay? And now, to focus the attention to this particular forgiveness of story, he takes us to the following verses. Let's go to verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So he's comparing the kingdom of heaven to a king who had to settle accounts with his slaves or servants. And so we'll see how that comes. So in this parable, there are three sins uh, that we will note. So the first one, the first servant, because he's talking about the servants here, the first servant who is brought into the king to the king to settle their debt is this. And we see that in verse 24. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and the children and all that he had and a payment to be made. This is a very terrible situation for one to be in. You've owed so much to your master, to your employer, that you have no any way you're going to be paying that debt. And your employer, your master decides, since you can't, I'm going to be selling you and your family. And you know what that will be when you have been sold out. And you'll be a slave. You'll be used as in any way your master wishes. And so this is the state that uh, the Lord is bringing to us in this parable. He owed a thousand talents, Marriott. That's a lot. It was unpayable debt that he owed. His master ordered to be, him to be sold according to verse 25. He cried out to the master to have mercy. So he's in that state of helplessness, hopelessness. And he cries in verse 26, So the servant fell on his knees, which was a very important thing, imploring him, that is his master, have patience. Some other translations will use the word, have mercy upon me, and I will pay you everything. I don't know how, how he was going to pay. <laughs> I don't know whether he was going to take years and doing this, just have mercy upon me. So he's crying out to be helped. This slave, in this very parable, will be likened to unconverted sinner. Remember, this is a parable. So we're just saying, we'll be likened to unconverted sinner. Remembering that God has given you, even as a sinner, God has given you life. Okay? He has given you, he has given life by 
he, he, you are given a life by your creator God. Everything that you have belongs to him. God gives rain both to the righteous and to unrighteous, what we call common grace. So they have all those things God, God has given you. God has given the knowledge of himself also to a sinners. And that's why the Bible says there is no excuse. You will never say God exists because creation clearly reveals his existence. You enjoy his son. You enjoy his creation. And so you know. And his very law is also written on your heart. He has given opportunities by God. You are given all opportunities by God. And you have squandered that opportunity. And you have nothing you can actually show to God. Slave is likened to you and I without Christ. We look, we took everything God gave us and threw it back in his face. Saying, well, I don't care. I don't want even to acknowledge you. I squander and I spoil myself with what I've been given. We treat it unfairly the God who gave it to us. That's how they mistreated our Savior. Even as we were just taking communion, it should remind you of the pain our Savior went through, spitting at him, mistreating him, one who was sent to bring us salvation. He may be likened also, um, maybe like him, you tried to, to pay. You know where some people you're trying to say, okay, I will try, even as he said here, he went on his, employing his master, saying, please help me, please pardon me now. I will pay, be patient with me. I will pay everything. And you know what, sometimes we try. Uh, Non-believers, some of us even before becoming believers, we tried doing things for God. So that God will actually accept us. God will take this debt away from us. People try things. They even give out their own lives, thinking by so doing, the Lord will forgive or set them free. You thought you could change your lifestyle in your own strength. Like him, like this slave here, you should realize your hopelessness and seek for mercy. If you are here as a non-believer and you are trying in your own strength, thinking by doing this, come to the master, realize there is nothing you can give back to him to buy salvation. God has taken the believing sinner and is dead and put it into Christ on the cross and taken all Christ's righteousness and put it on him. That believer, as such, he is or he is free man uh, and free woman. And what God is wanting in return as the king with this slave is that we will do exactly like him. He has taken away our sins as believers. Our debt has been erased. And so he has closed us in his righteousness. And so he tells us, let us do the same in extending forgiveness to one another. Sin, still coming sin too. The servant goes and finds his fellow. 
he has been forgiven. And so he has been released as you go on um, in verse 27, which shows us, And um, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Okay, so the master has come and forgiven. When we cry seeking for mercy and not justifying our sin, pleading for mercy, telling the Savior, I have nothing to give back, the Lord comes and grants forgiveness. And so this slave who was forgiven, we note now in verse 28, but when the same servant, that same servant who was forgiven, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. Wow. That is painful. <laughs> servant goes and finds his fellow servant who owes him a mere two pence. Very little. And he tells me, you know what? I'm not leaving you. Today you'll see you must pay everything now, now. Pay everything. And this fellow is pleading with him, please. But he says, no. He starts choking him. You know, when choking comes in, you are actually out even to kill. And verse 29, so he fell, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you back. The same words this very servant gave to the master. Be patient with me. Be merciful with me, and I will pay. And this very fellow servant is using the same words. Please hear. Hear. I can't. And what is the response? Seeing he grabs him and begins to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. Fellow servant falls down on his knees, begs him, be patient with me, but this man, no ways. So what we are seeing here, vertical forgiveness we received from God should bend into horizontal forgiveness. But it's not happening between these two. And that is the lesson Jesus is bringing out here. It is not happening between these two. And as you can see in verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. He refused. And so this is what is happening. He has been forgiven so much, and now his horizontal relationship to his fellow servant, he is going and he refuses totally to forgive. And uh, something happened. Witnesses who saw what happened. Between these two slaves, between these two servants, we see in verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Hmm. You know, just looking, 
it was shocking for them to see that. They knew these two servants. They knew the one who was forgiven that much. They wished that they were also. They enjoyed that privilege. And they are seeing this very servant now who was forgiven much now going to throw a fellow servant who did not owe him much in prison. And that is what is happening here. They have the only right to respond to this kind of behavior. This is with great distress. When you see that, the Lord has forgiven us so much and you just can't forgive one another. It should distress us when this is happening. When we are out choking to destroy one another just because they owe us that little. When the Lord has forgiven us so much. They brought the sad news to the king who reacted. They will not just keep that to themselves. They went back to the king, to the master, and say, look, master, justice must be exercised here. This is what we have witnessed, and we see in verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, now he's summoning this very servant he had forgiven earlier to come. And he says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that you that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Just going to verse 31, we see the picture is painted here and the promise that is coming in verse 31, and so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So there is that vertical relationship and horizontal relationship. And so something has been happening here between these slaves. And so Jesus illustrates for us what God expects of his children. He has forgiven us so much, and therefore we need to forgive one another. We should not hold back, but we should release forgiveness. Let what we have vertically in our lives always play out horizontally in, life, in our lives as we live together side by side, walking in oneness as the one another's. That's what we've been talking about. When the Lord has forgiven, since the Lord has forgiven you so much, as we live together as a church family, as families together, even in our own homes, let us learn to release forgiveness towards one another. Forgiveness is an act of the whole person. It is a commitment. Practically, that commitment involves four concrete actions. A commitment not to bring the issue to the person's harm. A commitment not to share 
issues with others. You have forgiven your fellow, and then you go discussing. You know, he did this, he did that for me, he did that for me. You are bringing the issue again, talking to other people about it. That is not the way to go about forgiveness. A commitment not to dwell on the issue in, in your mind. Where whenever something comes, you want to punish your fellow, reminding him, you remember what you did this, what you did to me um, uh, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. And so it keeps on. You keep on playing it in your mind. A commitment not to let the issue break your relationship. It's where you are two working together. It's okay, let's deal with this particular issue. This particular sin issue that is causing friction between us. Let us sit and talk. And that's what Jesus is teaching in Matthew. If you see your brother or your sister sin, go to him. If he's not listening to you, bring another one alongside who will be a witness just to help deal with this particular matter. And if this one is not listening to the two, I mean to the witness that has also come to bring um, the issue, to listen to bo both parties, then you widen the circle. First it's a small circle, and then you widen the circle, and then it becomes even more bigger as you bring in others with the goal of want to, wanting to restore a brother or a sister who, who is refusing to repent. And Jesus tells us, if he refuses totally to repent and you are pointed out his sin, what is the church to do is to treat him or her as a beggar. Because you are not displaying a true character of a believer. So again, forgiveness is an act of the whole person. Forgiveness is closely related to reconciliation. That's what we do. While feelings will be present, Forgiveness is not predicted on feelings. I earlier mentioned to you that forgiveness is not feelings. And for sure we know feelings will be present, but it is not predicted on feelings. Because feelings sometimes can mislead. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean all consequences are removed. And that's why the forgiven one also comes out and says, okay, uh, I've been forgiven. Uh, you asked me to ask for forgiveness, but you must also remove the consequence. In some instances, for consequences may not be removed. To say if my brother is owing me um, um, my 500 rand and he has cried and said, okay, please forgive me. I promised to give you at this time and it's not happening. And then I've forgiven, but it does not mean that I've erased the debt of giving me my five, 500 rand. So just also to look, just see, that should not confuse because many times people uh, think, okay, I've been forgiven. Even when God forgives us, you know, we suffer the consequences. You remember the life of David when he sinned with the Bathsheba? He was forgiven for sure. But what were the consequences? A child died. So that those moments that we need to take note of how to ask for forgiveness. State clearly what you did wrong. Don't go beat around the bush when you have actually been, you have, uh, you have sinned uh, against your fellow and uh, he comes to you and say, please, let's make things right. Let us clearly state what we did wrong. 
Request for forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? That's how it should go. Use simple factual terms. Don't destroy good words with the wrong attitudes. Don't confess accusingly where you are going to say, I should have not kept my mouth closed. I should have kept my mouth closed, but she asked for it. Have you heard that time? Where people say, she asked for it. And so, just forgive. How to ask for forgiveness still going on here? You must leave out the following long-term aspects of forgiveness in the weeks and months ahead, even after this family come. Let forgiveness open the door to a new and a better relationship. One that is joyful, trusting, and peaceful. Kind words are especially important if the other person is struggling with guilt or embarrassment. That is what Ken Santa says in his book, The Peacemaker. I just remind ourselves of that. When you forgive one another, I know you've hurt each other so much, and so you just want to come, okay, please, I know, want to release you. And so, so that you're not really, again, causing the other person to really feel the guilt or embarrassment. Choose not to dwell on the sin when it comes to mind. Rather, dwell on the joy of forgiveness. Are forgiven. Refuse to bring up the sin again in order to punish or embarrass the other person as, as a weapon to win an argument. And that happens, especially in our marital relationship. You bring that to remind and just want to, be, to go on and on. So with the conclusion here, the New Testament scholar Bruce has said these words. The gospel is a message of forgiveness. It could not be otherwise because it is the gospel of God. And God is a forgiving God. He's a forgiving father. It is to be expected then that those of us who have received the forgiveness which God holds out in the gospel, those who call him their father, you and me seated in this building this morning, will display something of his character and assure a forgiving attitude to others. That's what the Lord has called us to. And that's what we saw also in Colossians chapter, chapter, chapter 3, verse 12 and verse 13, bearing and forgiving one another. May we end this camp with this attitude of displaying the very character of Christ as we forgive one another. Amen. Let us pray. Loving Savior, once again, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who came and gave himself for us to bring about this forgiveness that we've talked about here. And Lord, help us. I know some of us are struggling. Of those people who have really hurt us deeply. And the questions are going on in our minds. How can I forgive? Lord, grant us the grace we need. Help us, Lord, to forgive. Just as you have forgiven us. Thank you for forgiving us. In Christ's name, amen.